Lovely to see you all and uh, commend you for being here on such a, a beautiful day. Know there's options out there today. <laughs> I want to I wanna start with scripture today. And um, I feel slightly nervous today because uh, this is going to be quite biographical. Um, and, and talking a bit about me, some of today, and um, there's some dangers in that. One is kind of pride or, you know, talking about yourself. And, um, and, and the other, another danger of that is that it can sort of come across condemning. And I, I don't want either of those. Um, but I just want to, I really want to share uh, part of my journey, really, of, um, of God's grace God's generosity and, and um, what he's shown me and shown us on the journey of, of faith. And there's more to come and there's more things to learn. But um, some things the Lord has, has shown us thus far and continues to show us. So let's read the scripture. And, and it's, um, you know, for six days, God created the world, however you see the yom, uh, 24 hours or otherwise. Um, six days God created the world, but now it comes to a different day and something else happens. So let's read that. Thus, this is Genesis chapter 2 verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Nā, ka oti te rangi me te whenua, me o reira mano katoa. Tu, nō te whitu o ngā rā i oti ai i te atua. Tana mahi mahi ai, nā ka okioki ia i te rā fitu, i ana mahi katoa i mahia e ia. Toru, nā, ka whakapainga e te atua te rā fitu, whakatapua ana hoki e ia, mōna i okioki i tawara i ana mahi katoa i oti i te atua te hanga. And God, after he created all, he rested and he consecrated it, made it holy, made it tapu, because on that day he rested. As a 21-year-old, and I've told some of you this story before, as a 21-year-old I went through a, a, a terrible, horrible time of burnout. Uh, as a zealous Christian Youth worker. And, and one of the reasons was that I was always working. And I was always working for God. And I believe God actually really, really needed me. And uh, in that I'd, I'd lost and surrendered some really important spiritual habits. Uh, such as regular prayer times and, and regular Bible study. Uh, exercise, rest, I'd lost connection to church. About half uh, half the weekends of every month I was away 
uh, doing youth things, camps, hui's, sports events, or presenting at different churches. Um, I was not involved in a small group at church. The, the funny thing was, we actually lived about 25 metres away from the church. I kind of attended sometimes. Uh, so it was like a little bit further than the end of the hall. That's how far away I lived from church. <laughs> um, uh, and that's where I was working. And we ran an alternative school out of that church during the day. And then uh, where I lived was a halfway house. It was a, a state house with the wall cut through. And we had these um, at-risk youth living with us. And so my world had become really small. And I was always working for God. Always. Uh, one of the worst times at that was I'd finished the alternative school, really hard day, really uh, rough, rebellious kids. Anyway, I'd finished, turned around, and as I was walking the 25 metres up to my house, I heard, hey, Carl, what are we going to do now? <laughs> it was like the nightmare was going to continue. Um, and, and the halfway house um, was sort of discipleship house of trying to help these kids discover what it meant to follow Jesus. Anyway, um, after a while, I started to, to actually get depressed and uh, lost my appetite, couldn't sleep, and I kind of started, I just wanted it to end. And I, I knew I needed to stop and change things in my life. I uh, went and got a, a job on a construction site for six months, and and things started to change. I would get up um, to catch the van. I had to be there about seven to catch the van into the site. And um, I'd get up really early before that and have big breakfast um, and have a prayer time and a, and and read the, the Bible in a regular way from about, it was about five in the morning, and I'd do that. And um, on Sunday, I would go to church in a regular way. And uh, I remember sometimes uh, sitting there after that, and I'd sit at the back of the church, and, and tears would come down from my eyes, and I could feel that God was starting to heal me. From that, and um, and it was awesome. And um, I remember one day on the construction site, one of my jobs was was cleaning uh, the urinal and the, the toilet. And one of the um, steel fixes they come in. You know the steel fixes where on the construction sites you put the steel out and they they twiddle the the wire on the steel and it was still really rough guys, come in, he said, come into the toilet, I was clean, he said, you know, boy, you're the happiest toilet cleaner I've ever met. <laughs> uh, one of the things I, I learnt from that period is that rest and work go together. Twice it says that God rested 
God rested and rest and work go together. Sharon and I met a, a real nice German guy one time. We were doing a walk down the South Island and, and we invited him back to come and stay. He came and stayed with us in Wellington and I was about to do some tiling around the fireplace and never done it before. Rudy, he had done it. So we went out to the hardware store and we um, bought everything we needed and, and tools and material and that and came back. It was about mid-morning on Saturday, I think, uh, and I said, oh, let's, um, let's have a little rest and then we'll get going. He says, never forget what he said. He said, Carl, how can we rest and we have done nothing? <laughs> And here in our, in our passage, God, you know, the creation work is finished. Not all of God's work. God was, God is still working. But he sort of come to a, a, a temporary rest, shall we say. In um, a time of rest. And creation had come to a stop. And you see that rest empowers work. And work empowers Rest. One of my brothers is a ski instructor. He lived down in, in Wanakum, South Island for many years. He's not a Christian. And um, they have a subset of the community down there. Uh, sort of 30-ish in age they are. And um, they call them Trustafarians. Trustafarians. And what they are is they are a group of kind of 30-ish uh, year old people and they have never, ever worked. And they live on the trust of their extremely wealthy parents and, and relatives. And they don't need to work. All they do is play. And my brother, he's not a Christian. I remember him saying this. He says, and they are lost souls. See, because rest and work go together. Work empowers rest, and rest empowers work. Rest was not created to live by itself, living for constant leisure. You know, as an as a 18-year-old, I decided this is what I wanted to do in life. I wanted to play rugby, I wanted to go surfing, and I wanted to travel. But after, only after a little while of that, I thought, that's, that's meaningless. It's, it's empty. And I found, um, I found, and a little while after that, I gave my heart to the Lord. I found there's, there's nothing in that. That's void. That's empty. See, because, uh, living for leisure has no purpose. Ecclesiastes says that. I chased after pleasure but it was meaningless. God blesses rest and he blesses the seventh day rest. I know that personally. Um, when I was 21 years old and in my 20s as a teacher, I learned that. The worst feeling you can have in the world as a teacher is the Sunday afternoon feeling. <laughs> that Sunday afternoon feeling when you're not ready and you know Monday's coming. Oh, I've got to get all that preparation done and marking and 
resources and books and listen to the teachers. Um, and I'd had this burnout experience earlier on, and so I wanted to do it better. And so I decided what I was going to do on, on Saturday mornings, I was going to go down to the school. I hated getting up early after a hard day all week. Uh, but I'd go down early on Saturday morning. I'd work all Saturday morning, sometimes a little bit into Saturday afternoon, and then that was it. And then I would rest, go to the beach, go with friends, go to the movies, whatever. Sunday, I would uh, go to church. Often I would go and help set up church and go to church and then spend time with friends and family, write letters in the afternoon, read uh, big hunks of scripture. You know, then um, the weekend became a beautiful thing to me. I loved it. Once I got uh, into that Saturday afternoon and the work was over, I found that, that God was giving me rest. A cathedral of time. Uh, at Bible college, when Sharon and I went to the Bible college, in 93, I think I started, she started in 94. And uh, I found that actually the workload was bigger than my first degree at Victoria University. And uh, because I guess they were more honest and so expected more of us. And so um, it was quite actually heavy in terms of study workload. And so one of the ways a lot of the students dealt with that was they would study every single day including Sunday. And the ironic thing was this, many of the students training to be Christian leaders would skip church to study, to learn more about God, to become Christian leaders. To get that. And um, we kind of decided we would not do that. I wouldn't do that. And uh, it was something of an act of faith for me that... um, that what God wanted to do in me, uh, he could do in six days in terms of learning about him in a book sort of way. And so we would not, I would not study on Sundays. See, because work cannot live by itself. Rest and work go together. Exodus 16 relates the story of Moses going through the desert and, and the people crying out for food, they're hungry. And so God answers and brings down manna from heaven. They're to collect it six days. And on the sixth day, they're to collect uh, a double portion, not collect on the seventh. But what happened? Some people went out on the seventh day anyway. And, and they'd gather, but it went rotten. They'd come back, or they'd come back uh, empty-handed. God not only blesses work, he blesses rest. And we can do that. We can, you know, we can do that. We can bless rest. We can bless the rest of our families. Um, when they sleep with the, the kids, go into their rooms and pray that God will bless their rests, that God will protect them from uh, any, anything evil, evil forces or spirits, and that God would speak to them in dreams. We can bless rest. And for ourselves, for our holidays, we can bless our rest. Retirement, pray that God would bless our rest and the rest of our parents and other 
um, loved ones. See, rest and work go together. Secondly, rest and God go together. Rest and God go together. God consecrated the seventh day. The day is described as the seventh day. God blesses the day and sanctifies it. He makes it holy, makes it tapu. Previously, God had blessed the land and sea animals in day five and also blesses humans in day six. But on the seventh day, God blesses the day itself and sanctifies that, consecrates that, makes that holy, tapu. Uh, interesting in history, the 18th century, the French Revolution, the, the, the French leaders, they tried to get away from the seven-day thing because it reminded people of their religious path. And what they did in the French Revolution, they brought about a 10-day week. And they would, um, the laborers would have a half-day rest on the fifth day, and then day 10 would be a day of rest. It actually didn't work. After 12 years, they went back to a seven-day week. But back to Genesis 2, our passage. On the seventh day, God blesses the day. It's the only day that he blesses. He consecrates it, makes it holy. A cathedral of time. Next book in the Bible after Genesis is Exodus. From Exodus 16, uh, on the seventh day, we see it's a, the building block of the Sabbath principle, the principle of resting from work. Exodus 20, the Sabbath rest is one of the commandments. Go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 1 verse 10. The writer John says he has a vision. Start of Revelation, chapter 1 verse 10, it says this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Itawairua Sunday has become the day of rest. The day, and why is that? It was the day the Christians saw as Jesus' resurrection. The, uh, that was the day they're going to celebrate. So by the end of the first century, the Christians had transitioned their celebration of the seventh day from Saturday to Sunday. This is both necessary and practical. The Jewish Christians were starting to suffer incredible persecution and alienation from their fellow Jews. They were no longer welcome in synagogues on the Saturday. And those from the pagan backgrounds, the Gentiles, they were now replacing sun worship with worship of the sun. So they went to Sunday. And many of the Early Christians were actually slaves. They didn't have one single day off at all. They worked every single day, but they were Christians. So what they would do, we have historical records of this, they would get up very early on the Sunday morning and before the sun rose, and they would have a service then. Sunday for them was a God day, not a rest day. For many of our neighbors, it's the other way around. <laughs> God has been subtracted from Sunday. Sunday for many is a day of leisure. But leisure has been so elevated, it's been become 
something to be worshipped in itself. The religion of hedonism, pleasure-seeking. You know, but like any false religion, hedonism does not give rest for our souls. Only God does that. God and rest go together. Work and rest go together. But a seventh-day rest that includes God reaffirms that God, that he is God, and I am not. For me, my, back then, my workaholism was a way of stating that I was more important than I actually was. I thought I was way, way more needed than actually I was. When I left full-time youth work, you know what? The world carried on. <laughs> the world did not collapse around me. You know, workaholism, again, is a form of idol worship, making me and my effort the idol rather than just a mere tool. Godless pleasure-seeking is another form of idol worship. Leisure is worship as the highest goods. But Sabbath rest, seventh-day rest, is an expression of faith. It's a public way of saying, I trust you, God. How do we do that? How do we do that in 21st century where there's hospitals and doctors? Praise God. That will, if we're sick, injured, they will help us, even if it's Sunday. Praise God. Taxis, real estate agents, uh, dairies that sell ice cream on a Sunday when we're having a nice walk along the beach. I found this little statement by Pastor Eugene Peterson helpful. This is what he decided one time that they would do for a Sabbath rest. They would pray and play. Pray and play. They would worship God and they would wonder in his creation. Those things would produce Sabbath rest for them. And for those uh, of us that that works some of Sunday or all of Sunday. You know, we just need to create some alternative cathedral time in our lives. Um, Shara and I, for instance, we actually love going to other churches sometimes on a Sunday where we are not in charge. And we, <laughs> and we can sit there and we can worship and we don't have to worry if they're going to sing that or that or say that or that or if that's going to match or that. Um, <clears throat> Uh, we, at times, will we'll try and have some or all of Monday off or another day. All of us, we need to work hard at protecting and creating Sabbath time. Rest, very, very important. So, now we're going to have one of the fastest summaries of the entire Bible you're ever uh, going to hear. Genesis sets the foundations and describes the establishment of the called-out people of God through the line of Abraham uh, leading up to Joseph in Egypt. Joseph's descendants become enslaved, end up becoming enslaved by the Egyptians. Moses leads the people out of Egypt and slavery, but the people rebel against God. 
against God. And, Mo- and then Joshua leads, um, leads the people into the promised land. And the people of God rebel against God. God exiles the people into neighboring lands, Babylon, Assyria. After a period of years, God uses Nehemiah and Ezra and brings the people back to Israel. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall all around Jerusalem. And then, and then he sits about to rebuild worship. Halfway through Nehemiah, he's built the wall, but now he needs to rebuild worship. Last chapter of Nehemiah 13, we see that restoration of worship under threat. There's Jews and there's foreigners that have started to, uh, to trade on the Sabbath. Nehemiah says this, he commands the gatekeepers of Jerusalem, as soon as that sun starts to set, lock the gates. And then he tells the traders, if you dare try and break the Sabbath, I will lay hands on you. I'll get physical. What's that saying to us? It's not saying to get violent, but what it is saying is to carve out cathedral time, Sabbath time. We need to actually be real intentional about it. We need to be deliberate. We need to be determined because there's lots of options out there lurking at the gates. And we can go way too far in that. I know that. We can be really excessive. We can be nitpicky. And this, this is what happened for Israel. You know, they, they were determined not to make the same mistakes of the past, to let the Sabbath go. So they got really intentional about it. After the Jewish exiles returned from Babylon, they began a zealous effort to correct their previous Sabbath breaking. For the next 400 years, they amassed detailed regulations for Sabbath observances. There were dozens and dozens of regulations for the Sabbath. One could take no more than 3,000 steps on the Sabbath or carry no more weight than half a dried fig. You could not even spit onto the soft soil lest that spittle plough the ground. Dragging a stick through the ground was forbidden on the Sabbath as a form of plowing. Rubbing grain in one's hands was considered to be threshing and blowing the chaff was winnowing, both forbidden on the Sabbath. What was meant to refresh and restore became a monstrous strain upon the mind and senses, counting steps, weighing burdens, guarding every movement related to meals, became a national obsession. You know, even today, Orthodox Jews are bound by similar practices, but they've developed really nifty ways of getting around these man-made laws so as not to overstress themselves. The 3,000-step prohibition uh, is got around by some... Orthodox Jews, they will tie ropes to the corner of the, to the uh, edges of the house and, and then uh, take it out from the house, which means because uh, the 3,000 step prohibition is not uh, relevant inside your house because you've got those ropes, your border of your house goes way further. 
Uh, another, even today in Jerusalem, there's what is called so-called Sabbath elevators. And these Sabbath elevators go all day, every day, and they stop at every floor. Because um, taking an elevator is prohibited on the Sabbath, because you're pushing the button, you're working, and, the, and, it's, and, it, and the light lights up, and that's like a fire. But a Sabbath elevator, because it's preset, if you just happen to walk into it, and it goes up and stops off somewhere else, you're not breaking the Sabbath. We can, we can get nitpicky, eh? <laughs> we can. And what was created by God to be a regular delight has been a cheapened attempt at self-righteousness. We've, you know, we can miss the heart of the intention of God blessing the day. So let's get to Jesus in the Sabbath. Jesus, the fullness of God, the Tenuahua of Te Atua. And from the Gospels, we see the religious leaders had got incredibly nitpicky over those 400 years from Nehemiah to the time of Jesus about the Sabbath. And it led, in actuality, to a cruelty. Probably the origin of their devotion to the Sabbath was a desire to spell out in practical terms what the Sabbath meant. But Jesus had, had seen what it had come to. And Jesus deliberately heals on the Sabbath to highlight this behavior, how the religious leaders of the day had turned what was ordained by God as a blessing, the cathedral of time had turned the Sabbath into something that was a playground for nitpickers and power freaks. And Jesus spoke into the incredible irony of the situation. Jesus says, here I am, I'm healing on the Sabbath, but you are planning my murder on the Sabbath. I'm bringing a new burst of life on the Sabbath, and you are planning my death. And you say, I'm displeasing God. That's wrong. That's wrong. So for us, Sundays. Sundays. What does it mean for us, Sundays? Not in a nitpicky way, but in a deliberate and intentional way. Rest and God go together. Rest and work go together. Pray and play, worship and wonder. Thirdly, rest and together go together. Rest and together go together. Genesis 2, 3. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, kafakapainia iteatua terafitu fakatapua anahoki. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. This indicates that the day was not just something for God. It was not just for God. The neighbors of the Jews, those around the Jews at that time of the writing of Genesis, there are other accounts, 
other stories of how the creation of the world came about. The neighbors of Jews, they had this account that the, the creation of the world was, was made by gods, and then the gods rested, but the humans served the gods. And Genesis says, that is not true. God made the world, and then he rested. And he consecrated it as an indication, as an example of how he wanted to bless his creation, the pinnacle of his creation, humans, so that they also could rest. Rest for all humanity. Rest and together go together. In the Gospel of Luke 4.16, says this, On the Sabbath, Jesus went into the synagogue as was his habit. Jesus went into the synagogue as was his habit. That's what Jesus used to do on the seventh day. Go into the synagogue and worship. Go with others. Help others experience God. Earlier in Luke, uh, actually later in Luke, Jesus had been in the wilderness, which often was another habit of Jesus. Luke 5.16 says that this was a habit of Jesus, going into desolate places and praying by himself. But here in Luke 4.16, now Jesus goes into synagogue with others on the seventh day. This was a habit of Jesus. From what we know from the Gospels, the seventh-day synagogue for, for Jesus wasn't always wonderful. It wasn't. Actually, often it was a below-average experience. But you never hear Jesus saying, I'm not getting much out of my synagogue uh, attendance at the moment. I'm going to ease back a bit. Why was that? He had this habit of going regularly into the synagogue on the seventh day. Why was that? Because of this. Because for Jesus, attending the synagogue weekly on a regular basis, he was not going for himself. He was going for others. Jesus was going for others. And if you don't feel you're getting much out of your seventh day worship experience, can I suggest this? Go for others. Ask God, who is it I'm here for today? You know, you can, uh, you can encourage people just by being here. You can c- encourage people just by being at your growth group or your prayer group. Go for others. Hebrews tw- uh, 10, verse 24, talks about another habit that had developed in the church that was written uh, other believers, other church people that Hebrews writes to. Another habit. Chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 25 not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Non-attending, non-going, 
that had developed as a habit of some of the church people that Hebrews was written to. That's another habit. So, two habits. You can have the Jesus habit, going into the synagogue, even when it wasn't wonderful, or you can have the habit of Hebrews 10.25, not going. You know, there's some, um, there's some very uh, clear things in the Bible, and there's some, some, some unclear things. Uh, it's clear that God created the world. How the details of that are not real, real clear. It's quite, you know, it's very brief in Genesis how God did that. And it's clear that the end of the world, God is in control of that. Revelation and other scriptures that talk about the end of the world. God's in control of that. Jesus is coming back. The actual details of that, that's not real, real clear. Right at the start, the details, not real, real clear. At the end, not real, real clear. In the middle, it's very clear. The example and the expectation of God of his followers, would that they would gather together on a regular basis. That's clear. That's clear. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing. God made it holy. He, he made other things, but he made the seventh day as a blessing. A regular Sabbath time. Cathedral, cathedral of time. And that, that's what I've discovered <laughs> uh, over the years. And I've done, I've done the other, um, but I've discovered uh, the blessing of that cathedral of time. For me and for others, rest, rest and work go together. Rest and God go together. Rest and together go together. Uh, we're just going to have a, first off, we're going to have a time of nothingness, <laughs> a time of rest, a time of silence, and I'm going to pray that God will just speak to you, confirm to you uh, what he wants to say to you. And, and after that, we'll have a cup of tea and people will be here, love, to pray for you. Some of you may be getting just slammed by the world at the moment. It's like you're getting banged and hit and, and life is not easy. And um, God still loves to bring peace and rest unto you. Matthew 11, you know, come to me if you're weary, worn down. I'll give you rest. Mm. So let's pray. Lord, you said that you would give uh, rest. And I pray rest upon these wonderful people, these ones that have made a decision this morning to come, despite the options out there today to come and to gather. We thank you for the encouragement that they are, that they are of ones around them. We pray, Lord, whatever they need today in terms of rest, that you would give it to them. You would speak to them. You would bring rest into their souls. Yeah. You love to do that even now. As you did it way back then, you still love to do that. So let's, let's sit in your presence now.
Amen. And Lord, as uh, these wonderful ones go out, we've done the pray, and as they go out to play this afternoon, that you would even bless the play. You would bless the play uh, amongst humans, other humans, family and friends, amongst your creation, uh, sleep, and, and as they, someone will read the word this afternoon. Lord, you'd uh, continue to bless them in their rest. In Jesus' name. Amen.